Hey everybody, this is Bruce from Printavo, Simple Shop Management Software. Today we have a very spe special guest with us. It's Ryan from Ryanite Corporation or now ScreenPrinting.com, uh, along with all the other things that they're doing. Um, Ryanet is now working on and, and has moved into their 50,000 square foot facility with uh, seven other warehouses around the country. Um, and they started back in 2004 and have a really great story that he's told me before, but just really wanted to share that as well as a lot of lessons learned that that he's brought on along the way. And then we'll also cover kind of where he thinks the industry is going. So just wanted to say thank you, Ryan, for joining us. I know you're a super busy guy. Hey, guys. You are welcome. Excited. Nice. So if you could start, uh, tell us kind of where Ryanette is today, and then we'll get back and, and start at the beginning. So today, I think we're one of the larger, top one at least the top three screen printing suppliers. We're a very interesting company, probably one of the only companies that, that do it the way we do it. You know, there's the MNRs that make equipment. There's the NASDARs and GSGs in Midwest that, you know, supply. There's the ink companies that, whether it's, you know, Virus or Magna or Matsui that make ink, we kind of do all of that. So we take every single thing that goes into making a print including how to do it, a lot of great YouTube videos and training classes throughout the country. I think we're pretty unique in the fact that we've extremely vertically integrated our company from actually making the product to training on the product to distributing the product um, all over the country, mainly focused in North America. Awesome. Very cool. And then, of course, you guys have like the educational side, and you push on that heavy too. Yeah, one of our mottos, one of our principles actually is we educate first, sell second, if you don't know how to use something, you're not going to get it again. Um, you're getting pretty pissed off if you got the wrong one. So we always try to educate as much as we can. And has that been a, a core piece of the business since you guys started? Or, or what, what was the turning point that where you're like, okay, we should really start getting into the, the learning side too? Well, we started actually from our own screen printing experiences. So in completely DIY. I mean, you guys screen printers out there, I didn't know what off contact was probably – for six years in screen printing. So it was just a completely kind of gun at your, like I started with water-based inks, they were great, and then I went to a screen printing supplier, and like, I need ink, and they're like, here's this Union Plastisol. I'm like, this stuff is so thick. How do you get it through a screen? Just smashing it onto T-shirts. And so we always asked our supplier questions, and they had no clue. I mean, one, one time they told me a conveyor dryer was an automatic press, and I looked at the conveyor dryer, and I was like, <laughs> How the heck, where the screens go? Oh, they must fit inside that box there. Um, and so through our own experience of like screen printing, like learning how to screen print sucks by yourself. Like trial and error, it's like virtually impossible sure. to figure it out. And so when we started sell, selling supplies to other bands, I would spend hours on the phone. Um, in fact, hours on the phone and then I was I started making copies of how to print shirts for fun and profit probably one of those things I'm not super proud of because it's uh, illegal to do that so they sent me a cease and desist and I stopped making copies and I was like we got to come up with our own educational information so we started we made an instructional DVD series it was it took me a week to film really it probably like a VHS tape or what oh well it was DVD it was okay. DVD uh, it was 14 hours long just ramblings of like how to start screen printing, but it was very comprehensive. Uh, showed how to do it from start to finish. And in 2006, 
We published that in 2005. We also started teaching classes in 2005 because we were like, we have to do as much as we can to help people learn how to screen print because there's physically not possible for us to grow as a company if we have to teach everyone over the phone how to screen print. So we started teaching classes in 05 and we started our educational on, uh, video series in 2005. And uh, in 2006, some one of our customers randomly put it on this YouTube channel that right. was starting up um, before Google even bought them. Yeah. And I started to see all this traffic come back to our website. I was like, YouTube? Yeah, That's like, pretty, what's this? It's like sending us orders. Like, what is this YouTube? And I had invested, my friends were all in the movie industry, and so I invested like and completely lost all my money in uh, not all my money, but a lot of money in, in this movie that they made. And so after they made this movie and it bombed, the guy who made the movie is like, uh, I don't want to go back to work at Big Five. Um, or no, it was like Best Buy. Can I make videos for you and put them on YouTube? And I was like, it sounds like a pretty good idea. Yeah. So that's how we started our YouTube channel. And, and now YouTube's our number one source of visibility worldwide. It's awesome. It's allowed us to grow, create customer connections virtually, um, help millions of people learn how to screen print, literally, um, and really helped our business be successful, helped a lot of screen printers be successful because the information is so readily available. Would you now say we teach classes as well all over the country. But Right. Would you say that YouTube was your, your number one uh, driver of, of customers early on? or Number one driver, because we started before YouTube was around. So number one driver for customers early on was SEO and pay-per-click. Pay-per-click was the number one driver. Um, I mean, I learned how to pay-per-click market, and our business went from doing like 50000 a month in revenue to do like 400000 a month in revenue in under 12 months. So we went from no revenue to $8 million in revenue in under 18 months um, from start to finish. That's so crazy. It was, it was extremely no 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 never mind um, zero to four in under eighteen months and then um, zero to eight in under thirty months. So it it was uh, it was extremely fast growth. One hundred percent of that was driven by web, and that was driven by uh, pay per click. And then pay per click became a lot more, and it's pretty hard right now. I mean, you pr pretty much have to have it. If you try to do pay per click yourself, you're probably going to lose a lot of money. Um, so we have companies that manage it I mean it was so easy back then to figure it out to put put in your own algorithms and now it's a lot harder I have to be really smart at it so I think the trick now is it's it's a combination platform of some of its pay-per-click marketing some of its SEO um, some of its localized SEO on Yelp and Google places and then um, Social media, obviously, and one of those social media platforms is YouTube. So we we have the you know wide net of you know strategy for marketing now that's really helped our business kind of get to where we're at at, at now. You know, um, whereas it started out first was pay per click, then it was YouTube, um, and then it was Facebook, but now it's just kind of like all across the board. Sure, yeah, pay per click has definitely gotten way more expensive. Uh, and competitive over time, which has also driven up the cost. Yeah, I have a. It's interesting. I have a book that's coming out this next month, I believe, called "Made to Make It," and it kind of talks about the business side of screen printing. I actually, use you guys as an example for the software. You know, kind of running your business smarter, mm -hmm. um, the software selection process, and um, it's Mark Katz was the founder of Custom Inc. 
Mm-hmm. So he was one of the people I interviewed for the book, and extremely interesting their marketing philosophy. His not I think I'd interviewed him in 2014, but number one driver for their growth in 14 was completely going old school and video uh, marketing on uh, TV commercials. Like was their number one driver of growth, and they're like the biggest one of the biggest players in the industry. So you you have to experiment and find out what works for you. And you can't compete, I think, with, you know, what other people are doing. Sure. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And so kind of bringing it back, I mean, you know, zero to eight million dollars of revenue in 30 months is pretty fast. You know, talk about when you first got started, uh, like how you were even getting into. I don't think many people know about the whole, the whole band background, but talk about getting into that and printing for yourself and how, how it transitioned to Rhino, too. So we played music, we wanted t-shirts, you know, every band wants t-shirts, and we made our own shirts, and I learned how to do it in high school, I learned on a Riley Hopkins press, uh, PVC flash dryer, water-based inks, my t-shirt, my teacher let me come back and print t-shirts over the course of the summer after I graduated, but then he, he made me go, like, do it on my own, and so I built a press out of wood, and completely DIY, other bands started seeing our shirts, and they're like, that's pretty sweet. You can make, how much does it cost you to make that shirt? I was like, I don't know, two bucks, you know, nothing, you know. And we sell it for 10 or 15 or five. Mm-hmm. Um, and they like, well, can you show me how to do it? So needing money to uh, support the ever-sucking money music industry, uh, we started selling, I started selling kits online on eBay on basically a startup kit made with the wood press and Go to, went down to the local screen supplier to get stuff, and that's what started SoapScreenSupplies.com, which is now ScreenPrinting.com, which is what started Ryanet. And I honestly, I didn't, I, w- I was extremely excited about growing a business and being successful because our band was, you know, very moderately successful, but not, you know, not the success that I, I saw, you know, for the band. And so Ryanet was pretty successful out of the gate, and I was extremely excited about that. I freaking hated screen printing industry. I mean, I didn't hate it. I, I just didn't love it. Um, Why is that? Because in 04, 05, the industry was like just devastated by like outsourcing to China. So everyone that was still in the industry after the 90s outsource movement mm-hmm. was like pretty old and they had worn the storm, but they were also pretty pissed off. Um, and then a lot of new, but what it, what happened is that it opened up like this field for all these people to start. There was still a need for product in the U.S., and so in the mid two thousands, people wanted to start screen printing businesses or grow a small screen printing business, and we became just super lucky because we were the ones that figured out how to market that on internet on and on YouTube, and so we just hit like the right time in the market to offer a solution. Um, that the market itself created by outsourcing to China and Mexico and, and Central America. And now I actually I fell in love with the industry about five years at, into the game, like kind of looking at our customers and you know coming out of one of the things I didn't like about screen printing is coming out of rock and roll and, and punk rock is like you could hang out with like the coolest people ever and you know partying and chicks and like it was fun. And screen printing was not the first screen printing trade show. I was like, "What am I doing here?" It's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not a punk rock concert, right? Uh, but like five years into it, I realized that like all these people that we were helping starting, they're like punk rock screen printers. Like, and actually, a lot of them were punk rock screen printers. Like, some of my idols, my idol growing up was MXPX, and 
Mike Herrera is a freaking customer of ours that I met, and he's played three concerts for us now at, at Ryanet, and it's like, it's it was crazy to realize how many, many parts of life screen printing touches, and then developing products that actually make better t-shirts, like, that you would want to wear, not, like, just slabbing a bunch of thick ink on a Gildan 2000 shirt, mm-hmm. uh, helped me become more passionate about the t-shirt itself, and I, I'm so lucky that we have the industry that we're in, and and I think it's an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of somebody's journey, um, from the print to getting behind the print and even the T-shirts now. So, it's uh, it's an awesome industry to be a part of. It's awesome. Talk about the the growing pains a little bit. So, you know, going through that, starting to figure out the video and the the paper clicks. Um, where are you even shipping all this stuff out of? I mean, that's a that's a lot of goods to be shipping. So you know, right away. So the- yeah, the philosophy of like anything and the way I look at always a new business model because we start new business models all the time. Mm-hmm. We're forever changing as a company, whether it's a new product, which is a business model, a micro business model, whether it's new division, new uh, line. So it's always like nothing happens until somebody sells something. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to sell it first. So you always figure out the customer and the need they have and then figure out a sale for them, figure out a solution. And once you figure that out, then you got to figure out how to run the business, you know. So we, I think that the thresholds that people run into, and there's thresholds in, you know, the the history of a business, uh, the life cycle of a business that you're always going to bump into. It, one is expanding outside yourself. Like when you're a startup, you do every single thing yourself. Right. And um, one is like, how do you expand yourself and add people? And then there's revenue thresholds, a million dollars, two million dollars, somewhere in there is typically a revenue threshold where your your business is doing business with uh, either the volume, you might just have one customer, but now you're doing it with one customer much higher volume, or you have a much higher volume of customers, um, is too much for your startup systems to support. So you have to do a first grade level upgrade of system upgrading, and that also includes people upgrading. Then there's typically the $10 million mark. Um, where that will happen again at a higher level, a $20 million mark will happen again at a, another level, 50 to $100 million, where that will happen again. So there's these stages that you have to get past in business. And and until you figure out how to do that, once you figure out how to do that, the stages are much easier to get past. And the secret is, is relinquishing control, developing systems, um, investing in education and uh, betterment of yourself and your team. Um, that's just the whole secret to expanding You know, much quicker than most people can expand. Most people don't want to give the control up. Most people want, don't want to develop themselves or other people. They don't want to invest in the time. They don't want to invest in the resources to be able to do that. Um, and they get stuck in the niche or the mold that they're in and not able to expand out of it because they literally limit themselves. So more specifically, are you talking about you know self-educating yourself? Okay, how do I manage ten people versus just the two that I started with, or thirty people, or fifty people, um, or is it like actual systems, like a, like an accounting system we need to keep track, or inventory system, to, or is it both? Or it's both. Yeah, a lot of a lot of it won't. In, you won't. In, you'll see a lot of small like small shops or small-minded. Um, shops just not getting out of the mindset of I, I'm going to do this all myself um, and doing this all yourself you can grow a business to about a million bucks you know and that's doing great and for some people that model is 
I like, you know, sometimes you look at them like super envious, like, mm-hmm. oh man, I would, I would love that, you know, because you don't have any people to boss around and stuff, but you're not going to get past that stage until you figure out how to systematize and how to people-tize like that system. A system, first of all, you need to document your processes, then you need to put those processes into a system, then you need to train people on how to use that system. And then you got to make that system better. So that's that's a process, you know, workflow in, in a circle. You got to first document what you do, then you got to put it in a system how to, that runs it, and then you got to train people how to use that system, and then you got to make it better. And it's ever evolving. Um, I think a lot of the times people don't don't want to make that step, and that step could be not wanting to add the person, not wanting to invest in the system, not training people how to use that system. A lot of times that step, and this is what our fault. Is we invested in systems and we invested in people, we didn't freaking write any of it down. So like our systems were developing, but no one knew how they were developing. The people that were developing the system didn't like come back. So now we're working on documenting the process and tying that into the system and then training it better and then making it better. So it's it's more flowing versus randomly making it better, randomly making a system for something that you know people might be working on two different systems that actually solve the same problem. Interesting. Uh, so so you I, know- but earlier on, because this could be you know tougher for when someone's making one of those revenue leaves, are you guys say, okay, we're just going to invest in the people and let the revenue kind of catch up from there and the systems and that investment there? Um, or is already the business kind of grown past where you need the people and you're just filling holes? And so, no, you have to invest uh, ahead. You know, there's no way there's no way to do it if you don't invest ahead. You know, if you if you wait for it to come, it'll never get built, you know, and you have to build it and then it will come. So that we made a mistake in 2009, we were looking at a new ERP system and, you know, we were on QuickBooks. QuickBooks is a couple grand a year. So we're looking at investing in an ERP system and we're like, we're looking at NetSuite or Sage. Um, And NetSuite was like so much more money out of the gate and it was like, you had to pay a, a yearly fee, and we almost chose it, but we chose this other software. Oh God, it was a disaster for like four years, and we ended up two years later doing another two-year developing process and finally investing in NetSuite. Um, NetSuite is a, a cloud-based ERP system that runs our t- ScreenPrinting.com, all of our inventory. Um, it's like the number one cloud ERP system. We're well into it, a million dollars, way over. We have three people developing it full time, um, and that scared the shit. That scared the crap out of me in two thousand nine. Yeah. You know, I there, but my it was my mindset. I was sure. like, we could have afforded it. You know, we wasted hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars between two thousand nine and two thousand and thirteen, and we just delayed the inevitable. You know. So investing in it 2013, 2012, we still couldn't afford it. We actually had, we were more profitable in 09 than we were 2012. But what happened is we just did it anyway. And since then we've doubled in size and revenue and profitability because of it. So it's, you have to do it first. You know, if you have a mentality of like, I can't, like there's two things that are certain, work and money expand to the amount there is to uh, amount of time. Work expands the amount of time available to do the work. Mm-hmm. Money expands the amount of money that's available. So, and you put your own mindset into each of those. So if you say, like if you look at how you live or how you run your business, 
you can always live, you can always run your business on less, guaranteed. You know, people do it all the time. The best, in fact, businesses that stress themselves purposely do better. That's why more ideas come out of bad economies. That's why the best inventions come out of depression, depression times. That's why the most startup businesses come out of recessions. It's just physiological nature that, that it allows you to do that. So if you purposely invest and lower your, your money potential, but you're doing it smartly, you're going to figure it out. You know, and, it, and if you just play the safe game, you might never figure it out, and you're, you have just as much risk of running out of, running in, out of business. You know. Gotcha. Yeah, that's very interesting, talking about investing ahead. So it seems like, especially when you nailed your, your traction, you, you realize that this was a need, people are buying, it's growing. That's when you, know, you, you feel a lot more comfortable to start investing ahead and planning and putting the systems in place. Yeah, you, you know, if you've proven a business model, like if you're still proving your business model, it's okay not to have systems, not to invest in people. You're still proving it. But once you've proven that that works, like people will come back and they will order again from you and you can get another another one of those customers. Once you've proven that, and the earlier you can invest, the more you can invest in, in developing those systems, people, and, and processes, processes, systems, and people in that order, um, the more expandable you'll, you'll become. Got it. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's great uh, advice, even on the small scale, especially if people are looking to continue to grow and create that bigger business over time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and even on a small scale, your your vision might be not to grow, a, you know, a ten million dollar industry or have five automatic presses. Your they might be to to have two people, but it's probably not just to work yourself to death for 80 hours a week. So if your vision is not to work yourself to death for 80 hours a week, you got to do those things. And if you do those things, you can run a very successful, profitable business and not have to have it rely on you. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about, uh, so today, um, where are you guys at revenue-wise today and, and employee count? So we've grown, we call it, uh, our team, we have team members, not employees, because I never wanted to be an employee, so I would be on anyone's team any day of the week. Uh, so we have team members, and we have about 120 full-time team members. We've, a NetSuite has allowed us to change our distribution model. So in 2012, we had three warehouses that were very expensive to run, and we had about the same number of team members. But what we did is we invested vertically in manufacturing, bought Riley Hopkins. Now we have about 30 people manufacturing the entire Riley Hopkins equipment line here in Vancouver. And then we outsourced all of our warehousing capacity. And we have seven warehouses that we, the only warehouse that we currently run still today is Washington. Um, and we're actually moving that to Portland this summer. So we'll have eight warehouses this summer. Um, and they'll all be a Amazon model, 3PL, essentially. Um, the inventory is live. They ship faster. They're much more accurate um, than we are. They're better at it, um, and our system allows it to happen. So our team members are mainly focused on customer-focused customer and then manufacturing and then systems, finance, and HR, and IT that run those things. So you outsource the – so it seems like you want to – Vertically integrate with everything, and by buying Riley Hopkins, by you know manufacturing the ink and, and the screens and, and everything. But the I noticed that you said the warehousing you did outsource. Was there a choice of 
why that versus the others you wanted to keep in house? Well, we were we were bumping our head against a wall. Both in, we knew that if we could get the customers faster, they would order more from us. Um, and so we were bumping our head against a wall in not being able to expand fast enough because they were too expensive. You know, like this season, this industry is seasonal. It has two seasons. It has spring and it has fall. And in the winter and in the summer, it dies for the most part. So, but if you're running a warehouse and it costs you hundred thousand dollars to run that warehouse, you've got to pay hundred thousand dollars a month to run that warehouse, even if it's dead in January or if it's slamming in March. So in March we'd always fall behind, and in January we'd always lose money. You know, so now because we split that diversity between eight, we our cost to run it is variable. It goes up and down based around how much we actually ship. Oh, interesting. And the capacity spread out between eight instead of three, and so we never we, we, we don't get behind. We have much more bandwidth, and that the people that do it, we're only a small percentage of their business. They're shipping for Amazon, they're shipping for Target, they're shipping for um, Nordstrom, and they can expand much quicker than we can. Interesting. So it's like a warehouse as a service almost. Yeah, and and it's not like a, people don't pay. For you to handle the product you know when you talk about value add people don't pay you to handle product that people pay to get the product people pay to people pay for the product they're faster people pay for a good product sure. um, but to handle the product that's not adding any value to anyone you know when did you decide that you wanted to start really expanding vertically you wanted to start getting into the manufacturing instead of just selling and letting those guys who are good at building equipment and making ink and just reselling it you you wanted to you know have your hand in that too what, what was that decision about for us it's a lot a lot of it's about controlling the customer experience um which is one like we we want to control the customer's experience as much as we can so that means if you make it if you physically have your hands on it um you can actually control it a lot better and so with Rock, we don't make Rock equipment, but we control 100% of the customer experience because they, we have the exclusive, you know, distribution and warranty and service in the U.S. and Canada. So our service model is completely different here than the Rock service model worldwide, which has allowed Rock to be successful here. Um, Riley Hopkins, we can control it. You know, the DIY kits that we make, we can control it. So from the customer's experience to they start with a DIY kit, they grow into an automatic press, we can control their equipment experience. And we're trying to do more of the same thing with the consumables. Um, it's, it's a lot harder road. We uh, upgraded to Wilflex Inks, which has been an awesome partnership, a much, much you know, great quality of ink, um, and allowed us to get into a lot more markets than we were able to do before. Um, there are also things that that you don't necessarily need to make. Um, one of the first things that we made was squeegees. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we made squeegees is because we could do it for half the price. And we literally, we have all these kids to ship out. We'd be waiting for the squeegee manufacturer on the East Coast to ship us these expensive six-foot blades. Yeah. How hard is it to make squeegees? Well, pretty easy. But now we've found out other people can actually do it faster and better than us. So we have them make it, you know. So it's a, it's an always, you know. Once again, are you adding, are you adding value, or are you taking away value? And if somebody can, somebody can add more value to you than what you doing it for your customers, you may as well outsource it 
and then focus on the things that you can do to add more value. Gotcha. Very interesting. And uh, what are you? What would you say are some big challenges that you challenges that you guys have today? From you know your your revenue cliff that you're at now. I think people are uh, always one of the bigger challenges. Like, can your can your people expand themselves as fast as they want to expand? And then as you're growing your team, are you adding the right people to your team? You know, are they a cultural fit? Are they industry fit? So I think. You know, we're trying to expand our team. You run up into a, a point where you, you're working with people that, um, a team member that might not want to expand. Um, they're happy with where they're at. Um, you're also running to the fact that they really want to expand really, really bad, but it's going to take them two years and you need to go there in one year. So you're going to patiently wait um, and, and develop them over the course of two years and just go a little slower. Um, and you might run into the fact where you you need to add somebody, so you got to find that person, and then you got to educate them on what you do. So, I think you know people is a big limiting factor um, to any business as you grow. The other the other thing is just uh, you know continuing to service people better. The, the more you do, the better service you have. Um, you need to have, and so you know we always run into issues with how well we're servicing a customer. And we always, and it breaks my heart, like when, you know, you see a review and we screwed somebody over because we, everyone does. I mean, you're not going to be perfect 100% of the time. That's what I always tell upset customers. Like, I am so sorry. We are not perfect. We make mistakes. We're growing. We get better all the time. Um, and I guarantee you that we'll do anything that we can to fix the problem. Um, but, but having a problem in your business is inevitable. It's going to happen. So how do you minimize that? How do you fix it once it does happen? Um, and have the people on your team that are like bought into both making it better and servicing the customer in, in a phenomenal way. Yeah. Is there, so with people specifically, where, is there any things that you, that you do to try to work with people to help them kind of envision your bigger goal and in you constantly raising the bar, um, or like more management tips wise or. Yeah, I think it's mostly integrated into development of the team. So we've added a full-time culture director at Ryan at Tyler, and his job is to literally just make sure that our team we we find the right people, we grow those people, and we um, develop this, our team. You know, and so he runs a team too, um, and we're expanding on that. We're developing you know more on training, more on education, trying to find better. We we do like a so this core value index when somebody hires or when somebody's here that allows us to understand how they their, their core values and if they're aligned with ours and if they're aligned with their current position and help them help them track to a position that aligns with them and uh, sometimes it's making the hard calls on like you have to part way, ways of something that's not just headed in the same direction so constantly communicating constantly training and educating and always trying to be better we're, we're still really really struggling at that and we can always do better. So that's kind of our focus. Our number one focus this year is is effectiveness as an organization. And so a lot of our, you know, we have two people that actually, Will Flex has paid for us to go to their lean um, Six Sigma training in Cleveland. So if you're in Cleveland, you can hang out with Chris and Tammy. Uh, they're there for like a month. Uh, and, you know, we have awesome partners that, that have invested in that theology and allow us to participate in it. In it, so that is um, 
that's one thing that we're doing. And then we're, you know, constantly training our team on better customer communication. We're constantly trying to communicate better with our team so that people have better understanding of what's going and where we're going. Got it. Um, with the business where it is now, what do you think the next couple of years holds for you guys? What, what are some challenges you, you're facing now? And where do you see Ryanet as a company going? It we're we're firing we call so new business models are like firing bullets. Mm-hmm. And so we are firing bullets right now, meaning like we're trying small niche like systems and, and business products to expand. So our products are changing to like making it easier for people to uh, do business with us. Like the products that we're developing now, a lot of them are consumable based, so they're actually using the products, not just um, like uh, not just a piece of equipment that might create something. So we're doing a lot of development product wise on like um, e- more eco friendly too. Like our whole focus is trying to make the industry more eco friendly. So. Like on the screen printing products, like better recirculation systems, better filtration systems, better um, distribution systems for ink and chemical, um, and then getting helping people to make their ordering process a lot easier. You know, automatic ordering, all that kind of stuff, um, vendor management. And then a new business model that we're just starting up is the garment itself. So we're like stepping behind the print and getting involved in making a, like right now the the t-shirt garment market is completely commoditized and you think of how cheap you can get a t-shirt for it's like half the price of the coffee that you buy yeah and yeah, coffee yeah. Uh, drinking like in 15 minutes and this t-shirt is going to be worn for 10 years so we're trying to make the t-shirt more environmentally friendly out of sustainable uh, fabrics and then we're making it in a place where it gives the most to the hands that touch it and not the least um so that project's called all made we just kicked that off with the indiegogo campaign you can learn more about that on Indiegogo or if you go to allmain.com and we see it like changing our business both like being in front of the print and then being behind the print on a t-shirt um, eventually um, in the next couple of years we just want to continue to get better develop better systems better processes to enable us to expand and, and service the industry better yeah that's interesting kind of goes along you what we're talking about about getting into the machine side the ink side the clothing side um you know, being able to control that whole experience for the customers. Yeah. What would, what would you say, uh, so wrapping up uh, a couple things. One, what is maybe a tip, whether they're in the screen printing business or they're growing a, you know, a wholesale type business, a tip for, for a business owner to be able to take something that you've learned? So... So there's this, this law called Parkinson's law, um, and it, it's uh, work expands the amount of time there is to complete it. And if you, you realize, like, no matter how much work you have to do, if you got a you got a hard deadline, uh, you're gonna you're gonna figure out how to get it done. And you sometimes miss the deadline by like that much, but it's always like almost by that much. And so setting up your business to realize that and not wasting time doing work that's not being effective. Uh, I think there's a very similar rule to money. Um, and so taking that extra time and taking that extra money and investing it in yourself, your team, and your business, um, because the money, your business will figure out how to work on the money that there's left, and your business will figure out how to work on the time that is left. Um, and you can always go get more money, but you only have so much more time, but you're going to figure out how to work smarter to get it done anyway. It's, just, it's, it's natural. So 
learning that, like really saying like, could I take a day off of my business and invest in going to this course or going to this seminar or mentoring with this shop? Could I take a thousand dollars a month and invest it in my 401k instead of just spending on, I don't know what, or could I invest it in a better software system? Um, so investing in both those areas is just do it. I mean, you have to, the, the only way you're going to expand and grow is if you do, you know, a time and a financial investment in your development. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, definitely. that could be helpful for people. Are there any, uh, uh, books that you're reading or people you're following that's interesting lately? I'm always a big fan, fan of Simon Sinek. Um, Start With Why, Leaders Eat Last. He just wrote a little tiny book called uh, Together is Better. Um, the, the A lot of books lately on the apparel industry, um, like how nasty it is. Uh, there's a book that Patagonia wrote called Let My People Go Surfing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a pretty awesome book. And they've been doing like sustainable apparel manufacturing for like 20 years, way ahead of everyone else. Fact is that no one's been able to commoditize it. So if you want to learn more about an awesome business story and how they develop their business and how they develop their stance of environmentally friendly and conscious, um, they actually have a B corporation now, which is a for-purpose corporation. That's an awesome book to read and teaches you so much about the the textile industry. Um, and I uh, just went to a Tony Robbins event, which was pretty amazing. Any any of his books are pretty cool as far as personal development and. He talks about like just limiting yourself, limiting your own mentality, and it's so true. You just you let in. I didn't read my first Tony Robbins book until after I read it in 2009, and and my life and my business has completely changed um, after I realized that. And uh, I got to see him like a week or two ago, and it, it just re- reinforces it. And so, if you get a chance to read anything that he's done, it's pretty amazing. Very cool. Do you have any recommendations from him? Um. You know, the power with, I think there's a book called The Power Within. The book that I liked was Get the Edge, but it's really old. Literally any of his books will be great. But some focus more on financial, like his latest book is all financial investing. Probably not great for like building a business or personal development. Um, so definitely, but any, any of it's pretty good. All right. Very cool. Well, I uh, appreciate the time, Ryan. Definitely valuable. I think it'll, it'll absolutely help a few people out there at least. So again, thank you. And uh, I'm sure we'll be chatting soon again. Yep. See ya. Bye. Thank you, guys.